Um, yo, it's, it's definitely, definitely an honor um, to stand before y'all today. Um, if there was anywhere in the world that I would feel honored to be in front of, it's at my home here at Epiph. So, like, this is definitely an honor for me to stand in front of y'all. Um, so, uh, my, where's, where's my fam at? Where's my, where's my, ah, they up in the balcony. Yeah. Mom do, I told I let mom do know she gra- she grabbed everybody <laughs> and brought them in. So so my fam is here. I'm excited to see them here. Um is is my, my wife in the back there with 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 the little one. With the little one. She's a genius. She's a don't y'all don't y'all hate when people say that about their kids. Oh see she a genius. Oh my little little Veronica's a genius. Now you look over at them, they eating crayons and <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when she learned how to sleep through the night, then she'd be a genius, right? Yeah. Um, man, to my, to my Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, I, I didn't see, I didn't think it would be fit for me just to, just to come up here and say, uh, I give an honor to God. So there's a scripture that kind of, uh, like for me, this sums up, like, the Lord and what he's done for me and why I'm here right now. So it's, uh, you can turn there if you would like to. If, you, know, you don't have to, but First uh, Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 12. So instead of just saying honor to God, I want to read this because this is the way I feel towards the Father and what he's done for my life. Um, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service, though formerly I was a blasphemer a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were, be, uh, who were to believe in him for the eternal, for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. So that, that sums up for me what the Lord is doing, is doing to me. So uh, let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, what an honor it is to come before you um, and call you daddy. <laughs> You are not comparable to anyone. You said it yourself. Who will you compare me to? There's nothing that is superior to you, Lord, and I thank you for that, God. I thank you for being superior in my life, for overcoming all of my unbelief and drawing me to yourself. Nothing that I have done uh, has attributed to my salvation, Lord, only you. So, Lord, I'm thankful, uh, grateful. I pray that you will let your word uh, be heard clearly today. Uh, I pray that you would have people to see you standing up here and not see me. So, Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity. Uh, bless you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Ah, Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 1. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 1. Before we dive right in, though, I want to kind of give you a background to the book of Hebrews. So... So, so bear with me a little bit. Now, 
Hebrews is about a group of people, a group of people that knew God, they were well-versed in the scriptures, and had even professed faith in Christ. So we're talking about believers here. Yet, through doubt, definite persecution, both social and physical from both the Romans and other Jews, uh, based on false teaching, whatever the case may have been, this was a people that were in danger of giving up their Christian faith and turning back to Judaism. In some way, they had become dissatisfied with where they were in their Christian walk, and they began to look back to the old way of doing things. They began to look back to the old way of doing things in terms of meeting their satisfaction. This was a people that needed to be reassured that Christianity was indeed true and that Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah. And because of it, it began to stunt their growth, and they couldn't grow. Now, we see this based on Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. Uh, you can turn there, but I'll read it real quick. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want to paint a picture real quick of what he's saying here. Uh, as you know, with, with having a newborn through uh, reading books, talking to doctors, looking at all the magazines, you come to know, even common sense will tell you, infants cannot have solid food. They cannot, like, they'll choke, like, you can't give them solid food. Their digestive systems cannot handle it. Whether there's too much sugar, too much sodium, artificial flavors, their digestive system is too immature, and they can't handle it. But at the same time, you wouldn't say, yo, you should be eating solid foods because you're an infant. You're right where you should be, right? Now, take me, for example. Of course, you can tell by my physique. If you put a plate in front of me, I'm going to murder it. <laughs> it's plain and simple. It's plain and simple. And of course, with Thanksgiving coming up, like my, the highlight of my year comes at Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, amen. Amen. Listen, I mean, when you like think of all the hams and the turkeys and all of the delicious, I see your mouth watering already. Amen. <laughs> Listen, listen, food, food, food is my anti-drug. Like, food is my anti-drug. I know y'all seen them commercials. But listen, so imagine me at Thanksgiving. Imagine me at Thanksgiving sitting at the table with the hams and the turkeys and breads and the stuffing and some of my mama biscuits and some of my mama biscuits. And, and, and imagine all that and my wife putting in front of me a plate of smushed peas and a hot dog that's been skinned off and cut up into little tiny pieces. Man, I'd be looking at me like, are you, dog, you a grown man. Like, are you serious? But that, that's how people would look at me. This is how he was looking at them. Like, what are you doing? Like you're, like, you're supposed to be teachers, but because their digestive system was spiritually immature, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle solid foods. They couldn't, hand up, they couldn't handle grown-up foods because the digestive system was immature. So we see the Hebrews, they had stopped growing. They weren't gaining any weight, but they were content because they had already begun to turn back to the, another way of doing things, the old way of doing things, 
to satisfy them. This is very reminiscent of the Israelites uh, when they got into the wilderness, Exodus 16, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of, of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Listen, he's saying, yo, I would rather die in Egypt. Y'all should have just left me in Egypt. I know. I mean, I know we were in bondage. I know we were in slavery. But at least there, we could get some grub. The fruits were ripe. The vegetables were banging. At least we had something to eat. They were content with going back to the old way of doing things. They, were, they would rather be hemmed up with cuffs on and in bondage rather than trust and rely on the Lord as superior to anything they had ever experienced. Now, just as the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were content with being satisfied by something that couldn't satisfy them. Jeremiah 2.13 calls those things a broken cistern that can hold no water. They were relying on broken cisterns that were and are insufficient instead of Christ, the fountain of living water. And because of it, they couldn't grow and their faith was being hemmed up. In the same way, some of us today... When we first became believers, we were filled with enthusiasm. Like our, our commitment level was high. We were ready to dive into the, to the wilderness head first. And then we got there. <laughs> and our enthusiasm began to fade. Our commitment began to weaken, weaken. And we became dissatisfied with where we were. We began to seek satisfaction in so many other things. We began to seek satisfaction elsewhere. We become more satisfied in our jobs and what kind of friends we have. Just the gain of, and of the wealth of knowledge. We began to be satisfied by all of these things and not in Christ. And because of it, it stunted our growth. So the title of this sermon is Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Took me a while to come up with that. I know you all like titles and points and all that stuff. So I had to, <laughs> had to, sit, down and, had to sit down and think of that one. It took me a, a little bit. <laughs> Ah, all right, so uh, today I want to look at what it's going to take to get, the cuts, to get the cuffs off, to get off of the smushed peas and the cut up hot dogs and move into spiritual maturity by seeing Christ as sufficient, Christ as enough, and Christ as superior. And what I want to do that, how I want to do that, I want to do that by looking at the, uh, the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king under the new covenant against the roles of prophets, priests, and kings under the old covenant and showing Christ to be superior. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's read. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the, power, by the word of his power. Now, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. First, let's look at the, 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 his, his role as prophet. Verse 1, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, in these first, first four verses, this is just a picture of Christ's threefold office. So when we look at prophets of old, first and foremost, we recognize that they were all sinful men. 
no matter how you slice it, these were men who were uh, under the curse of Adam, so they were sinful. When we look at Isaiah, Isaiah had to confess. He confessed Isaiah 6 in his vision, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Uh, even when we check and peep in on Elijah, Elijah at best was a man that had many moods. When we peer in on Elijah, he was either extremely depressed or having some sort of anxiety attack. Now bear with me, I'm not saying this to discredit them as prophets or to say like that, that any of the work that they did through the power of the Lord was unworthy, but in comparison with these prophets next to the Lord Jesus, this is what they look like. So, in the Old Testament, prophets were the mouthpiece for God. They were courageously bold, willing to stand up in front of entire nations if need be uh, to confront sin, command repentance, and cry out uh, the truth of God. As, as Pastor E was kind of pointing out earlier, like, what would it look like? What would it look like for one of our candidates, instead of talking about the economy, instead of talking about cutting taxes, or the welfare system, or foreign oil, what would it look like if they pointed to America and said, repent and confess of your sins and return back to the Lord? What would that look like? Man, beautiful, right? Beautiful. It wouldn't happen, but it's beautiful. I mean, uh, <laughs> so in essence, their chief responsibility was to bring the repentant to brokenness and the unrepentant to hard-heartedness. There's an old saying that says the same clay that, I mean, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Basically, that's what a prophet was. So what makes Jesus superior to these men uh, that the Lord obviously used in mighty ways? First of all, Jesus was the focus of all the prophets. Deuteronomy 18, uh, 18, 18 says, uh, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. This is Moses talking about the prophet that's going to come after him. If we turn to Luke 24 verses 25 and 27, we see, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If we jump down to 44 and 45, we see it again. Then he said to them, these are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the things of scripture. If we turn over to John uh, chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, we see him saying, do not, think that I will uh, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All of the prophets, in some way, shape, or form, pointed to Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus was God. And since he was God... He spoke by his own authority. The phrase, the word of the Lord, appears 241 times in the Old Testament. 221 of those times, they're on the lips of prophets uh, appealing to the authority of God. 
Now, because Jesus spoke on his own authority as God, he didn't have to appeal to God's authority because he himself was God. So he simply said, I say to you, simple as that, like, I say to you, do it. Mark 1.22 obviously shows that people were well aware of his ability to speak with authority. Um, I was kind of uh, looking at dudes that speak with authority. And we, if you, if you kind of run in the circles, it, everybody kind of talks about Mace and how he's like a father to everybody because he has this authoritative type of feel to him. Now, mind you, no way am I comparing him to Jesus by any means. So uh, I'm not a false prophet. So, But Mace has this sort of authority that, that kind of comes with him. So everybody uh, kind of sees him as a, a daddy. And the worst thing that you could do, other than follow Christ, is have Mace be disappointed with you or upset at you. <laughs> How many of y'all have actually been yelled at by Mace or rebuked? <laughs> Listen, now he's, he's, he said he did my premarital. <sighs> I'm not going to go through the whole situation because I ain't going to embarrass myself, but... Man, there was one time where Mace dug in my rear end so bad. Now, it was needed because nobody had done that for me, and it was for my sanctification. But, man, the way that I felt afterwards, who has seen Meet the, Meet the Robinsons? It was like a cartoon movie. Has anybody seen Meet the Robinsons? Well, people in the beginning, there's two kids, they're in an orphanage, and, you know, you know they're, they're painting this picture where the parents come in, and, they, and they're looking at the kids, and they're, they're picking their, their, their choice. And it's like, oh, yo, he's got red hair. Let me get him. Nah, his hair's too matty. Yo, he got blue eyes. He got brown eyes. There was a little kid named Goob. And he watched all of the other little kids get picked and go away. Absolutely. And when you get yelled at by Mace, that's what you feel like. You feel like Goob. That's what I felt like. All right, let me get back on track, back on track. <laughs> Jesus himself, point three, Jesus himself was actually the word of God. Jesus didn't just come and proclaim the word of God like the other prophets. As John 1, 1 tells us, he was actually the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you scroll down to 14, and the word became flesh. Scripture exists. To reveal to us the incarnate word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Point four. Jesus' prophetic ministry continues today. If you notice, when a prophet dies, so does his ministry. Tripp made a nice explanation when he was over here last week kicking Jimmy. And he said, Jimmy's not going to get up if he's dead. He said, Jimmy! And he kicked him. If y'all were here last week, y'all remember that. But that's what happens. If a prophet dies, so does his ministry. But with the Lord Jesus, when he died and resurrected and ascended to the throne, he continued his prophetical activity through the operation of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Scroll down to 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, he, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he would declare to you the things that are to come. Now, Christ is superior in that man is sinful and prone to error. Speaking of the prophets. Thus, he can never generate truth. He can describe what he observes, but ultimately he depends on God uh, for truth. Dr. Penley's with us today from Dallas. He came up and taught our... Uh, uh, counseling sessions over the weekend. Uh, I'm only saying that because uh, what I'm saying now, I kind of stole from him for Friday. So I just want to let him know that I know that I took that. Okay? All right. <laughs> so, Christ is superior. Man is sinful and prone to error. Therefore, he cannot generate truth. He can, he can describe what he observes, but ultimately he depends on God for truth. Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When man saw creation, God's revelation, general revelation, they didn't give God thanks for who he was. They saw it and they tried to conform for themselves a truth about God that ended up not being God, but ultimately ended up being themselves. Even where man sees true general revelation, he cannot understand the truth of God without the word of God. The only way we know absolute truth is in the word of God, made possible through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, convicts, teaches, and John sixteen thirteen guides the hearts of men into all truth. Thus, Christ is superior to all the prophets in that he is the complete and final revelation of God. Complete and final. He fulfills the prophetic office and continues to speak through us through his word and only, capital O-N-L-Y, through his word. Let's jump back to Hebrews 1. Go to verse 3 with me. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the act exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the power of his by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high here we get a picture of his priestly office now priests are those whose main function is to intercede for their fellow human beings in the presence of God they were selected from among men of the tribe of Levi but they had to be descendants of Aaron and were appointed to represent men and matters related to God. They were to distinguish between holy and common, the clean and unclean. They were to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord. They were to intercede for them in prayer, which Jesus does often. They were to offer incense and hold burnt offerings. In short, their ritual activities were done to sanctify and provide expiation of sins through gifts and sacrifices. Now, because priests dealt so uh, in the holy and crossed into the realm of the holy so often, the priestly life was one uh, that had to be lived as much as possible in a holy state. Otherwise, there'd be ramifications. Uh, the hands and feet had to be washed, washed clean. Otherwise, you could die. Simple as that. Uh, they couldn't drink wine on the day of a ceremony for fear that something crazy would happen. I mean, we know how Uncle Junebug get at the family picnic when he's been sipping all morning, and then it's time to do something special, and he's falling over tables and all that. Listen, they, they wanted to make sure that there was no way that they would mess up the ceremony. Therefore, you couldn't drink wine on, the, on that day. They couldn't have any bodily perfections. Now, this bugged me out when I read this. 
They could have no bodily imperfections that might compromise their status as a whole human and thereby profane the sanctuary. This is something that the Lord said himself. That would disqualify many of us. You couldn't have an injured foot, an injured hand. You couldn't have any scars or abnormalities. Otherwise, you were not considered a whole human being. I'm being serious. You were not considered a whole human being, and therefore, you would profane the sanctuary. As a priest, you couldn't marry a divorced woman or a prostitute because uh, they would probably make you impure. Uh, even, even the daughter of a priest, if she became a prostitute, because impurity uh, is contagious, it would cause him to be impure. That would disqualify many of us too, many of his parents. Um, so the priest's role as catalyst and mediator of Israel's community was dependent upon their life lived in a state uh, of purity. So what separates Christ from the Levitical priesthood? One, the priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus uh, on God, uh, rests on God's oath and Jesus' indestructible life. Now, Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, much less a descendant of Aaron. Therefore, in Israel, he would not have been able to be a priest. Uh, but uh, in God's divine specific appointment, uh, he's found it necessary to fulfill Christ's role as priest. And he did this through the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest king uh, who ruled over Salem, met Abraham in Genesis 14. Um, so uh, what happened was Jesus Christ became a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement, but, or, or based on who he descended from, but from an oath from God. Psalms 110.4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 20 real quick. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. When you get it, say neighbor. God, I'm just playing, sorry. Get carried away. Um, 7, verse 20. Y'all crazy. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, Psalms 110, um, 20, Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The guarantor of a better covenant. Because of this oath, Jesus becomes the guarantor or the one who guarantees a better covenant. The one who guarantees in his own person, peep it, in his own person, Jesus assured the superiority of the new order over the old because his oath secured his permanent installation in the priestly office. Go to here. Jump down to 23 for me. The former priests were, main, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. No priest could function in this permanent way because all were subject to death. 
But the permanent priesthood of Jesus gives him the capacity to care to carry his saving work to completion. Number two, Christ is a priest of a better sacrifice. Turn over to 10, Hebrews 10, verse 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is showing the impossibility of the sacrifices of the law of Moses to take away sins. These yearly rituals served in essence as a reminder of sins, reminding people that they were guilty and that they were unable to experience life with a clear conscience. I don't know about y'all, but it would be mad annoying if I had somebody over my shoulder reminding me every day how guilty I was. Don't do that. You're guilty. Yeah, I remember what you did. You're guilty. Don't, don't try to hide it. You're guilty. Guilty. <laughs> like, listen, in today's culture, we don't like to be told that we're guilty. We don't like to be told that the best that we have to author is like filthy rags. I mean, our response is a culture. Um, I mean, many people have this tattoo. Uh, it says, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Or we whip out slogans like, don't trip, God ain't through with me yet. <sighs> That's a whole nother sermon. Simply put, the old system proves to be inadequate. Hebrews 10, 5. Let's, let's go down to 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If we look at verse 11, it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. The Levite priest could never sit down on the job since the sacrificial services were never completed. In verse 12, we see Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, and he sat down at the right hand. Christ sitting at the right hand is a signal that his sacrifice was offered for all time and also that he can await final victory over his enemies. Uh, the, the author goes on to, to uh, tell about benefits of the new covenant based on no longer needing a sacrifice for sin. One, if you peep verse 16... Uh, verse 17, I'm sorry, God will not remember our sin. You know, have, no longer have anybody over your shoulder reminding you of your sin. God will not remember our sin. 
there is complete access to the holy. Uh, traditionally, those uh, with access to the holy are priests, but through Christ, our high priest, and his shed blood and atoning work, uh, we now have access by the new and living way, 10 verse 19, to approach the throne of grace with confidence, uh, Hebrews 4, 6. Uh, and point three, as we see in Christ's prophetic ministry, his priestly ministry also continues today. Uh, Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes on our behalf for the Father, even now. Practically, this means that Jesus knows us. He loves us. He pays attention to our lives. He cares for us. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. At this very moment, Jesus is bringing our hurts, bringing our suffering, bringing our needs, and bringing our sins to the Father. And in this regard, Jesus Christ as priest is different than any other God portrayed in any other religion. He is the only God who gets off his throne and humbly serves and gives grace and mercies to those in need of a savior. So I'm back to Hebrews 1 with me. Verse 3 again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for, for sins, uh, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Picture of his kingly office. Now, the role of king in Israel's history was not originally intended by God, in case some of y'all didn't know. It was a compromise, even if you want to call it that, and God allowing them, uh, and God allowing uh, and recognizing that his people had once again rejected him and were in rebellion uh, because ultimately he was supposed to be their king. Uh, when Christ came, he spoke of a kingdom that was totally unlike any other kingdom on earth. Uh, one where the king came to serve and not to be served. His kingdom was totally flipped upside down, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, other, where, other places in scripture we also find, all things were made by him and for him, which verifies the fact that all things are fully under his authority. Abraham Kuyper once said, Abraham Kuyper was a theologian, politician, uh, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. I'll read that again. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Or give me that. <laughs> give me that fire, give me that flame, give me that. Sorry. Um, but listen, it would be it, it would be foolish to think that he's only uh, that that he's only talking about the material world here. Listen, he rules how we spend our time. He rules where we live, who our friends are, what kind of job we have. He rules our finances. He he rules who we get married to. Listen, for the believer. There is no such thing as a personal life. You hear that a lot when we talk about community. But in relationship to God and his kingship over your life, there's no such thing as a personal life, number one, because it doesn't belong to you. Like, 
We, we have become a society that, that is built on self. It's built on privacy. Nobody, you don't want anybody in your business. Okay, like, Lord, you can have that area, but, yo, you got to step back. Like, this is mine. Yo, like, you invade in my space. There's no such thing as a personal life. Christ rules it all. He rules it all. And because of that, he demands and deserves obedient loyalty uh, to command every aspect of our life. This is what happened to those that are written to in Hebrews. Again, they were looking back at things. They were peering in on a way of life that was insufficient. It couldn't cut it. They lost Christ. They, they lost sight of Christ of being greater than the prophets, the final and complete and true word of God. They lost Christ as being their high priest, the one sacrifice who was sufficient and complete. They lost the sight of Christ as being, as, king, uh, as being their king who rules and reigns and is seated at the right hand of the Father and waiting to come again and conquer all of his enemies. They lost sight of Christ being superior, and they couldn't recover, and they lost their ability to grow. We've got to understand, whatever you are considering as the focus of your life, Christ is better. Christ is better. Uh, you talk to many cats today, and all they want to do is stack dough. Everybody's changing jobs because they want to make more money so they can buy a better house and a, a nicer car. Uh, we see it because everybody moves to the suburbs. Whatever your goal in life is, if it's not centered, if Jesus Christ is not at the center, you have a problem. But just know, whatever you try to compare him to, whether it's getting money, whether you're here for a mate, like whatever you're looking for to satisfy you outside of Jesus Christ, just know that Christ is better. He's the perfect revelation of God, the final and complete sacrifice for sin, and the compassionate and understanding mediator. And I'll add this. He's the only way to eternal life. I mean, he said that himself. Um, too many people trying to get to heaven. Um, as far as I know, John 17, 3 said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you or know me, and the son that you have sent. Listen, we have got to be in a constant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that sees him as superior. Everything else is inadequate. Nothing else is sufficient. Trip, went, Trip spoke all last week, and he was like, listen, I know that you know the scriptures. That's cute. I know that you show up, and your attendance at church is good. That's cute. The Lord don't care. Like, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where he rules over your life? We can't be satisfied with religious feelings. We can't be satisfied with coming to church. We can't be satisfied with a Christian spouse, having a Christian spouse, looking for a Christian spouse. We can't be satisfied with serving in church activity. Listen, you will be drifting into a Christless hell. 
unless you've made a personal commitment to him. It'd be foolish to reject what Hebrews 2, 3 calls such a great salvation. It'd be foolish. Ah, let's pray.